You're listening to The Terry Holland Show, the podcast for high-performing entrepreneurs ready to take your life and your business to the next level. And if you want to get there faster, go to terryholland.ca. Thanks for joining us today. I am so excited to be here today with Bosco Anthony. He is a speaker, a storyteller, and a strategist. Welcome, Bosco. Thanks, Harry, for having me. I'm really excited to be here today, too. Awesome. So I want to jump into your story because I think you have such an incredible journey that you've been on. So you were born in Tanzania. You immigrated to Vancouver, Canada, and recently you relocated to Australia. Yes, I'm, I'm never running out of places to go to, it seems. <laughs> so how, how have these three countries, how have they shaped who you are today? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like Tanzania was where I got my identity and imprint as an immigrant and as an African you know, boy growing up in Dar es Salaam. My father was born in Zanzibar. Um, and... You know, I, I feel like my roots, uh, if, if I can call it, it, you know, my roots was established there. And uh, Canada really defined my career as a business professional, um, having spent most of my adult life there. I mean, I got to Vancouver when I was 19, a few hours before my 19th birthday. And uh, I spent probably about, you know, 18 years uh, figuring out what I wanted to do from a career perspective and and just grew up there. And uh, Australia really just became a opportunity and a life by design choice. And so I, I had spent some time in, in Canada and, and loved it. I made a lot of great friends and family and you know, great relationships, business, personal, all of that stuff. And it was just time for me to evolve and, uh, and move on to the next chapter in my life. So I feel like the immigration to Canada really became sort of a blueprint uh, and made immigration to Australia a lot easier. Um, and, and so I think I was able to learn a lot about myself in Canada, but, you know, definitely had deep core roots in Africa. You can't really call anything home anymore. It's more a state of mind, right? So I feel like uh, being a, a global wanderer has really helped define perspective for me. And, you know, you learn a lot about yourself through the lenses of other people. And so when you travel to different parts of the world, you associate yourself with people from various culture sets. Um, it, it gives you a different viewpoint. It, it takes away the ignorance and the, and the tunnel vision, uh, per se. And, and it just gives you a lot more patience and, and appreciation for society. Awesome. So as, as a wondering immigrant, where is home for you then? I, you know, I, I think I would have asked you, I would have answered and said home was a place. Uh, I think home is a feeling um, for me now. And I feel that's a big difference. I think home is a state of mind. Uh, home can be, you know, can come through as a reminder with certain foods, music. Uh, it can be in an embrace with someone. It can be, you know, in, in, a, in a friendship, in a relationship. I think I think home is safety and, and safety is memories as well. So I feel like for me, um, home is really just a state of mind. And I think we are constantly in search of home and, uh, you know, we're constantly in search of safety as human beings. So I feel like it, it's a never ending process. And I feel like, you know, the space you're defined in uh, either by default or design is, is, just a, is just a cosmetic. But again, that's my theory on it. So you've mentioned something a couple times that sort of piqued my ears. So sure. you talked about life by design. What is life by design? 
Well, it, it's the foundation of my, uh, my, my TEDx talk. And I talked about how to live life with purpose and alignment. And, and the concept that really I wanted to hit home when I, when I gave my TEDx talk was that most people live life by default as opposed to design. Um, and in the Western world, it really has become a rat race. You know, some people leave way early in the morning when it's dark um, and uh, they drive to, you know, a, a job that pays the bills, but they're not really in love with it. And they come back in the evening when it's dark <laughs> and uh, have dinner and basically rinse and repeat. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those uh, moments in life where you go, is that what you're defined by? Is that a default setting or could you do something different? Um, and, and it's, you know, you, we make decisions every day where we settle and we feel stuck in those decisions. And that really was the core message of my TEDx talk. And I'm fortunate that it connected with a lot of people at the time when I, when I talked about it, because I felt really passionate about the fact that, you know, we are, we've created this, these limitations around our lifestyle. And having lived in, in Vancouver, Canada, I had gone through that, you know, too. I come from a corporate background and uh, it, it was coming to the point where I was looking at my life just pass me by and, and I wasn't in love with what I was doing. And so I knew it was time for me to make a change and, and really redesign my life. And so I'm a big fan of preaching what I've practiced. And so I realized that there's so many rewards when you design your life the way you want it to be. Part of me coming to Australia is, is a choice uh, and, a, and, a, and a life by design choice as well. Um, and, and so there really isn't you know, an unhappy place or an unhappy country. I think at the end of the day, your, your choice is based on what makes you content and are you really happy? Um, and that's what life design for me is, is, is feeding your happiness. Um, because at the end of the day, that's the biggest currency that should matter in anyone's life. Absolutely. So when it comes to purpose, I think, you know, I think that all humans at some point in their journey, they're going to ask themselves that question, what is my purpose? Right. So how, like, would you say you found your purpose now? I, I was fortunate to, to find my purpose. Um, so I, I have a mentor uh, who's a very dear friend of mine. His name's David Reeve. And I ended up working with him when I was probably about 19, 20 years old at a corporate company. And it was one of those um, working relationships that turned into a friendship, a brotherhood. Um, and David, David was not only a mentor, but he's almost like a second father to me. And he's okay. been there through a lot of uh, amazing milestones in my life. <clears throat> and um, I was able to relate and articulate what I was feeling inside. And most people have a gut feeling what their purpose is, but the biggest struggle is articulating it and processing it and getting it out from their, their mindset into an actual piece of paper. It's one of the most liberating feelings and the scariest notions you can ever uh, you know, come to terms with or embrace. And so I, I was fortunate to, to do some exercises and, and to really take the extra steps to articulate what my intention was. And I landed on the fact that um, I love to empower people. And when David said, you know, his purpose was to leave, leave people better than he found them, that hit home for me because that, you know, that was the articulation that I needed to understand. You know, at the time I was a coach, I was, uh, I was in a corporate and leadership role in a, at a resort and travel company. And I was one of the youngest managers and I loved coaching and empowering my staff. Um, 
And then as time went along, my career started to evolve and I started noticing that my purpose fit in every role I took, whether I was speaking on stage, whether I was working for an online marketing company or building my own business, I was applying the same purpose at its core to everything I did. And so I realized that this is my purpose and, and my personal and my professional purpose sort of came to alignment because of that. So for me, you know, purpose is, is not just an, you know, a compass, it's an identity, it's, it's an imprint. It's stronger than a passport. You know, most people say, oh, I'm Canadian or I'm, you know, American. I think when you tell people what your purpose is, it gives people a stronger meaning of who you are. Um, and that, that should be even more uh, predominant than the nationality or country that you came from. So purpose for me is at a higher level is, is really a strong identity and, it, and it's at the forefront of um, w- w- the makings of your own DNA. So you mentioned that it's your purpose sort of fit into every role that you've had. Mm-hmm. Do you think that purpose is something that is an overarching theme in our lives or is it something that changes as we develop and grow? It certainly evolves. There's room for evolving a purpose. And I love to take the exercise uh, you know, that I've learned to articulate my purpose almost every year I, I do a check-in. And, and, and you know, most of the time, you know, purpose is, is connected to your values. And it's important for you to have various values. I just got my values rechecked a few weeks ago um, and some of them had to change. You know, I I have a value for people. I have a a value for the business that I'm in. I have a value for, you know, the places that I want to introspect and I have a value for the service and products that I offer. Um, And so I feel like my values evolve as I evolve. My purpose so far has evolved a little bit, you know, as far as the terminology, but it's still at its core foundation. And so I feel like people do have the ability to evolve their purpose. People do have the ability to, to change their purpose or, or even, you know, move to a different area of elevation in their life. However, it's important to have those hard conversations. It's important to have that inner conversation that most of us have trouble going into. And it's, it's sometimes you have to go through some dark places and some traumatic experiences to land on that purpose. Uh, and for me, I think going back to my origin story and you know, going back to my roots in Africa, it really allowed me to understand who I was and the environment that shaped me to become the man that I was going to be. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a date with your mind and, uh, you've got to show up with, with, with wine and cheese and chocolates and just <laughs> sit in, sit it, sit in it and enjoy yourself. And, and, and that's the best part about, you know, coming up with the purpose is you learn a lot about yourself and who you, who you, who you're becoming. Yeah. I like, I like the wine and cheese and chocolates part. I think I need to have that date with myself. Sure. <laughs> so when it comes to having these hard conversations with ourselves, right. Can you give us some advice on where do you start? Uh, I, like where, what's the first jumping off point? Right. So um, the first moment of you know taking that big leap is is really digging deep into your core memories. Uh, for me, it was a childhood memory that basically you know is a recurring memory, and 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 you know or, origin stories can be traumatic. They can be happy. Um, they can be um, exciting they can be validating you know for david his core origin story was 
you know, his, his soccer coach who validated him at a very young age. And he loved that feeling of validating people. And, and it, it carried to, you know, to him for many years. I was talking to a classmate of mine who, who's a dentist. And uh, it's funny because him and I, we both were classmates in Africa. We both moved to Canada and now we're neighbors in Brisbane. Wow. And uh, so I was sitting down with him, having dinner with him. And, you know, in the last few weeks, I've been getting to reconnect with him. And I asked him, I said, you know, how did you how did you find your purpose as a dentist? And he said, you know, we didn't have a lot of dental care in Tanzania. And my dad once had a, a tooth abscess and we went to a dentist and I was fascinated watching the dentist work on my dad and the relief that my dad got because he was in so much pain. And I knew then that I loved the architecture of miniature teeth. And, uh -huh. and, and he became, you know, that was the memory that he took with him to understand that that's the, you know, that's the area that he wanted to specialize in. And he's an amazing dentist right now, but it came from that moment. And so, you know, where do people start? It starts with within, you dig deep and you find, you know, what's of meaning to you. You know, chefs become chefs because of certain foods or their grandma sitting with them at a kitchen, you know, teaching them a recipe. Um, I, I had a buddy of mine who, who, who created a, a Jamaican restaurant in North Vancouver and, you know, the recipes that he cooks up, he calls it soul food, Jamaican soul food. And he remembered these recipes because when he was a little boy, his grandma and him spent a lot of time in the kitchen um, and he made some amazing food that I even, you know, when I went to go eat some of this food, it brought me back to Africa. Um, and, and so, you know, I think, I think memories can be traumatic they can be great, they can be happy, they can be sad, but those memories triggered inside your origin story then define who you were and you know where you're going and who you're becoming. And so I would always start there. And whenever I work with my clients, when it comes to one-on-one -on -one mentoring or group coaching um, or even speaking, I always encourage people to, to tap into their memories if they can and, and start there. It's a safe place. So what have been some of the defining moments in your life? Um, I've had a few, fortunately. Um, I think, you know, surviving Tanzania was, was great. And, and, you know, Tanzania is a beautiful country. It's known for its tourism. But when I was leaving Tanzania, we had some milestones. You know, we, we had the American embassy bombing in, in Dar es Salaam and in, in Nairobi, we had, you know, our borders having problems with Rwanda and Burundi. The presidents had to come and sign a peace treatment on their, on their way back. Their planes were shot down and we had these, you know, this major genocide that impacted our borders. And, you know, at the time, Tanzania was still a developing, you know, country and a lot has changed since then. So, Going through that as a, as, as a boy, seeing the violence, there was, you know, uh, moments in my life where, you know, I saw some traumatic experiences with my neighbors. Some of my neighbors were unfortunately murdered. And that really was, you know, I, I saw that firsthand. And so I was becoming desensitized to a lot of um, sad moments, including death. And, and then, you know, leaving that to coming to Canada, you take a lot of that with you. And so... I, I didn't even realize I had a form of PTSD. Um, and, and so that was a defining moment because I, I wanted to tackle it and I wanted to, to, to start, you know, a new life in Canada. And when I was in Canada, I had some great moments, some corporate moments, but one defining moment for me was um, the TEDx talk that I was uh, part of in 2016. And if anyone's been following on social, I just celebrated my four year anniversary of being in the alumni uh -huh. club. 
yesterday on the 28th of May for, for North America, at least I'm a day ahead in Australia. And, uh, <laughs> and so, um, you know, that changed my life. Um, it was 360 hours of preparation, 25 scripts, four different coaches with four different visions, uh, 22 different dress rehearsals or forms of dress rehearsals and everyday practice in the shower in the morning and in the evening, <laughs> um, looking into a mirror and learning a lot about body tonality and positioning and voice. You know, I, I'd done a lot of presentations prior to the TEDx talk, but they were always with gimmicks and PowerPoint slides and remotes. You know, here on the TED stage, you're standing in front of this distinguished red dot and you have 18 minutes to pour your life into uh, a, a talk and uh, it was the one of the most exciting moments in my life and I remember getting off stage and you know it going so quickly uh, but still processing every moment and I remember coming off the stage and this wave of adrenaline just you know just I, I just finished this wave of adrenaline and, and the drop was really deep and I remember just having you know moment of gratitude and knowing that I you know I had nailed my talk especially 20 minutes before that, I decided to change the script because I wasn't very happy with the script. And, uh, you know, you have coaches that, that want you to shape the story the way they see fit. And I just didn't feel like it was my identity. So I decided to change the script and, and it could have gone either way, but, you know, I was listening to my inner voice and it worked out. I was fortunate to get a standing ovation. And I think most speakers did that day. And, uh, it was, it was a, it was a very rewarding feeling. And, and that, ripple effect went into me becoming an international paid speaker and, and, and getting paid to speak in you know places like Halifax and Utah and going around the world and business opportunities that that stem from that was you know surreal and and it also was one of the contributing reasons as to why I moved to Australia so I feel like when a defining moment hits you it either defines you or you define it and it's you know how you say yes to those opportunities i think another defining moment was me immigrating to canada and you know i had to be here before my 19th birthday and i arrived 3 hours before that so um, you know i've had a few close calls i've had some 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 good and and you know uh, roller coaster rides as as everyone else and uh, it's just allowed me to to look at the lens very differently and i look at the last 4 years since i've done that talk and I've grown so much in the last four years, um, more than I've ever had in my, in my life. And so, um, you know, it's something that we all do have. I think you have, you know, I'm curious, what's, what's a defining moment in your life? I mean, it's probably something to do that shaped your career or a choice that you've made. Yeah, I've, well, I've had a few, but the one that, that really sticks out to me is walking to my doctor's office completely burnt out and having her yeah. tell me that I could no longer continue the way I was running my business back in personal training and nutrition, that my body was shutting down and that I had to stop and losing in, in an instant, losing my business, my identity, everything at once. Right. And, and that's what set me on the path to doing what I'm doing now. So that's, that was a major defining moment of, okay, if I'm no longer this, this version of me that I thought I was you know, I thought it was going to be the rest of my life. If I'm no longer this, then who am I? Right. And now right. What, what does that mean about me? And what does that mean for my future? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, have you noticed that sometimes one event changes everything else? I mean, as I was getting ready for my TED talk, I needed to address some health issues myself. I was a hundred pounds overweight and I've lost a hundred pounds to date. And, uh, you know, that's allowed me to operate um, at a higher capacity and hustle even more at the time. And, 
a lot of that just came from that one event in my life and everything else changed. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that it's the same situation for you as well, where one choice led to all these other impacts in your life as well. Absolutely. Now, I'm curious because you've done this TED Talk or the TEDx Talk, which uh, mm-hmm. is fantastic. And I'm going to post the link in the show notes because I think everyone should watch that. And and when we first spoke, you mentioned that you were an accidental speaker. So how did you yeah. accidentally become a speaker <laughs> and then end up doing this TEDx that's absolutely brilliant? Um, so I, um, I got headhunted to go work for an online marketing company at the time. It was called the Internet Marketing Center. And um they owned the domain internetmarketing.com. So it was a, a really hot domain. And if you were, you know, alive in the 90s and the early 2000 era, internet marketing, you know, we call it digital marketing today, but it used to be called internet marketing. And the pioneers of internet marketing would sell and create these ebooks and training programs and launch all these different affiliate programs. So I was in that space and, um, I had a background in in sales and I would travel on the road with the speakers to go speak on these two day weekend seminars around the U S and, and, and Canada. And, you know, I happened to be in Edmonton and uh, the speaker had food poisoning. We were at the holiday inn and something didn't agree with him. And uh, we had two choices, you know, I was on the road for a few weeks and the two choices were we canceled the event and there was over a hundred people that had paid to come see this event or come up with a backup plan. And um, I said, Hey guys, I I've seen the presentation a few times. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll give it a shot. You know, if you guys are comfortable with it, if you guys can hear birds in the background that's actually the wildlife in Australia that wakes me up every morning so yeah we have different kinds of birds um so I um yeah so I you know volunteered and um and they were like yeah I mean you know we don't have another choice so let's just go with it and so I I jumped up on stage and you know I just mentioned to everybody that you know our speaker had food poisoning but I'd seen this lie deck and I was going to give it my best shot and the majority of the attendees chose to stay and I remember getting up on stage and something inside of me just clicked and I went into presentation mode and I loved every moment of it. I was having fun with the audience. I was making fun of myself. Um, and uh, I ended up getting off the stage and just looking at myself and going, you know, I was really proud of what I had done, but more importantly, I'd really enjoyed that moment. And I, I didn't think I would. And it was this this unparalleled discovery that was never planned. You know, when I was a kid, I used to have toy soldiers and wanted to become a soldier. Uh, I used to serve mass. I was raised Catholic. I wanted to be a priest, you know, like by design, the environment shaped what I wanted to be, you know, and then my notions of becoming a soldier and, and, and a priest kind of changed when I hit puberty and discovered that I like girls. And so, <laughs> you know, life evolves, as they say. And so I... Um, you know, I, I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be in the medical industry. My mom was a nurse. My dad was in the pharmacy world. And so your life is designed by these moments, but never was it designed that I would want to become a speaker. And so this event gave me permission to explore. And so I started, you know, I came back from the event and the president of the company said, look, you did really well. We want to put you on the road. So I had a platform and, you know, these guys were doing, uh, you know, two seminars every weekend. And I, I, went on this speaking journey that took me to Sydney, took me to the UK, took me to, you know, different parts of South America. And um, I was like really 
excited. I was really happy. And um, it was an accidental, you know, thing. And then the universe has this funny way of sending you messages. So I got off stage at a conference and this lady said to me, you know, you should really think about doing a TED talk, you know, or a TEDx talk. And I, I didn't know what it was. So I went and Googled it and I'm like, oh, wow, there's, this is, this is the, the Oscars of speaking, you know? And uh, a few months later, someone else said that. Another person said to me, hey, you really should write a book. And um, I listened to the universe and I, I, you know, decided to do some research and uh, turns out that there were chapters in Vancouver that I could apply for. So I applied for the biggest one, TEDx Vancouver, lost out to uh, a journalist who had survived the Arab Spring the first time, lost out to a former Whitecaps captain the second time. And I, I realized that there was a lot of celebrity speakers because they needed to sell this big event with tickets. And so they recommended a different chapter, TEDx Stanley Park, that had just moved to Queen Elizabeth Theater, 2,000 people. And I just happened to know the organizer. Met him for coffee and he said, look, I've seen you speak. You're a great technical speaker. You know your digital trends, but this has nothing to do with digital. This is uh, ideas to action, life alignment, you know, talk. And I will not make it easy for you. And I said, just... I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Give me a shot. And uh, I ended up becoming a backup choice. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, 2015 going into 2016, I probably will have to wait one year before I get my choice. I called David and I'm like, you know, I'm a backup speaker and, you know, I've done 250 events and, and, you know, I feel like I should deserve this event. And David's like, take a deep breath. You, you, you're in. It might take you a year, but you're in. Uh, and so I, I ate some humble pie and, you know, went back to watching my TV show and 15 minutes later, another speaker had dropped out and the opportunity became alive. And that was my journey, you know, and, uh, did I ever plan for it? No. Did I ever think I'd ever accidentally stumble upon it? No, but, um, you know, 350 events later, 50 plus cities around the world, um, it's become a career. And now with the current times, I've become a digital speaker and podcaster. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny how your life just evolves and takes you on this roller coaster journey and it's just part of the ride, right? Absolutely. So you've, you've mentioned alignment and I've heard you speak on alignment and, yeah. and I want to know, so what is alignment? And if we're talking about alignment with your purpose, what does that look like? How does someone get into alignment? Right. So I think, I think alignment is a result of purpose, especially unified purpose. And so alignment is bringing all the elements in our life together. You know, I, I wrote down a sticky note the other day and I said, you know, the, one of the times in my life where I was really shaken up was when a close friend asked me if I was happy. And at the time I wasn't happy. And so I wrote down, you know, what are the key areas that create that alignment and happiness and contentment? And this is what I've landed on so far. And, and this is like a 3 a.m. exercise. I was up early one morning. Uh, so the things that create happiness is the tribe that you're in, the energy that you give, um, the inner contentment that you feel, the passion that drives you, the alignment that brings everything together, the vocation that you have, the wellness space that you're in, and the safety in your environment. And I think these areas create your alignment and your happiness. And I feel like 
your purpose defines that space and that ecosystem and alignment is, 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 a, is a result from it. And so, you know, when I work with people and I mentor people, I feel like alignment's a result and a, and a passion and a, is a sort of a checkpoint and a purpose is sort of the origin point of trying to get to that, to that piece. So I feel that, that, that it's definitely connected and it's a fabric of, of purpose. Fantastic. So when we're, you know, a lot of my listeners are entrepreneurs and they're in business. So how does, if we're looking at our purpose, you know, is, is my life purpose, should that be the same as my business purpose? Are they different? Um, how, does, how does purpose translate into business? I think they have some similarities and I think there's also some differences. You know, um, leaving people better than I found them is, is a personal and business uh, impact that I'd like to leave in this world and the work that I do and the legacy building that I have. Um, however, you know, I feel like my personal purpose differs from my, from my uh, business purpose. I, I, I focus on empowering digital brands and, and building brands and taking them from where they are and operate, operating them maturely into a different entity. So my, my business purpose and my personal purpose is different for some other people it might be the same you know someone who's a chef might have a similar you know pur purpose as well but uh, i think that they can operate differently now why is business purpose important because without a compass a business is lost it, you know you know when you start a business you're on a voyage most people fail or have a shipwreck within the first three to five years and you know this working with business owners if they can survive the first five years, they've got permission to succeed. But the, those five years are, are harsh. You know, I, I look at startups today and I'm like, I do not want to be that person no. because <laughs> we've all been through it. And it's sort of, sort of this graduating moment. It's like going to university or, or you, know, you know, surviving high school. Um, it has so many different challenges. And um, I feel like because you're going on this voyage, of uncharted waters, parts unknown, and undiscovered territories, you really have to have a guiding principle, and you really have to have some guiding principles to live by. So I have four values that I absolutely, you know, am, 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 I feel very strongly about. And one of the values when it comes to uh, business is reinventing business, uh, disruptive storytelling. And that's something that I truly believe in. Uh, when it comes to my process and when it comes to uh, me working with clients, there's a lot of rebellious design thinking and that's become another value for me. Uh, when it comes to the culture of either my clients or the people that I work with, remarkable authentic uh, relationships is a big one for me. And I make my decisions based on those authentic relationships. If I can't connect with someone meaningfully, it's not a relationship I want to get into. Um, and, and, you know, it, when it comes to introspection, I focus on re-engineering re digital presence. And so these are my guiding principles that allow me to make decisions, allow me to make acquisitions, allows me to work with clients. Um, and so if we have similar alignment in those values, we operate better, we respect each other better. You know, you've worked for clients that I call them the clients from hell that have <laughs> absolutely no regard for who you are, what you are, and they just want to work with you transactionally or treat you commercially, you know, and 
that that doesn't work for me. Recently, someone came to me and said, you know, um, you know, we'll pay you a 30% commission in real estate. We just want you to deliver these leads. And I, I said, guys, I don't work that way. That's not my, that's not my uh, value system. It's not my belief system. Um, and so, you know, money isn't everything. Values are more important for me. And so I feel like values and purpose in business is so important because it allows you to navigate through uncertain channels and it allows you to make some hard decisions during some tough times. So speaking of tough times, we're in some strange times right now. <laughs> it's a cocktail and a mixed bag of chips, as they say. Yes, I've never heard that. I like that. <laughs> yes, it's a cocktail and a mixed bag of chips. Absolutely. So how does, how does that, how does purpose and alignment and everything you're talking about, how does that translate into the workforce now in these current times? I think anyone that thinks that the workforce is going to come back to normal is living under a rock. And uh, I, you know, I'm fortunate I'm, I'm doing some research right now for my next TED talk and it has to do uh, about change in the workforce. And here's a fact, the person who invented the nine to five concept of work um, is a person that came from the 1800s during the manufacturing era. And it was part of that draconian, you know, management and, and micromanagement where you don't trust people. And it's about, you know, having these hours so that people could perform. And I was recently watching a TED talk by the founder of Chobani Yogurt. And he gave a TED talk in Vancouver. And he said something that was very groundbreaking. And he said that the CEO playbook is broke. We need to create an anti-CEO playbook because if you're living in PL documents and profit and loss statements, and that's how you make decisions through spreadsheets, it's not how we run business today. It's not where the world is moving to. There's a lot more compassion, there's a lot more empathy, and it's driven by feeling, not performance. And so, you know, yes, you need performance to survive, but if you can take care of your workforce, performance will be impacted by the way they feel. And so I feel, um, and this is the foundation of my next talk, is that the workforce is going to be changing by design. You know, open floor concepts will have to be rethought of, you know, and that just came up 10 years ago. You know, perhaps mental wellness should become a priority and shouldn't be a taboo discussion at work. Maybe HR managers evolve to become workforce therapists, or maybe a company now hires a workforce therapist for each workforce. Um, maybe the nine to five, eight hour rule should be redesigned and rethought of. Maybe it should be pay people more to work less, incentivize them to balance out their lifestyles. And, you know, right now with people working from home, we have to be more compassionate. They're homeschooling. They have kids. They have, you know, the, the amount of cases for mental wellness has increased, you know, unwellness as well. There's a lot of silent conversations that aren't happening about how unhappy people are. And isolation has given people more time to introspect and have some hard conversations with themselves. And so by all means, the workforce is going to be impacted by this. And we're seeing it. You know, some companies are, are giving permission to their employees to work from home as a lifetime. 
there's become more trust and productivity has impacted has been impacted greatly and we've seen these trends of remote workforces do well in Europe there are certain companies in Europe that already tested the four day work week that already tested five five hours a day of work because that's the most amount of time people are productive um, you know most of the time people at corporations I'm sad to tell you this but as a corporate consultant they spend their time surfing the net. They spend the, the time sitting at a water cooler. They spend their time in meetings and drawing them out for over an hour. And if you don't think that doesn't exist in your organization, you are fooling yourself. So I can tell you right now, I've spent enough time in Canada to know that the North American concept of work is flawed. And that's the conversation that needs to be had today. And so I feel like all purposes need to be reevaluated, and not just purpose for the company, because that's one fabric. The purpose is the people that represent your company. If they don't know your purpose, there is a complete failure in communication. I do this, this test where I always ask someone on the front lines, what's the company purpose? And I get three <laughs> responses typically. Let me go find that for you. They turn around and look at the wall. Or more importantly, they say, I don't know. And the ones that scare me are the ones that give me a different purpose. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, so you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a topic that I feel very passionate about. And I feel like we, we have hit a different era. You know, I think during the manufacturing era, it was, it was more a draconian mindset. And now we're moving into a more compassionate mindset and a more empathetic mindset. And, you know, as a, as an NLP coach, uh, you probably can, can, can relate to this now more than ever. We have to redesign and rewire how we operate from a business and as a company as well. Absolutely. Well, and it's, you know, and I was sharing with you, you know, this with you a little bit earlier too, is like, I've, I've also been looking at how am I operating in my business and why am I putting in so many hours in a day when I know that, my highest productivity is early in the morning and I have about a four hour window where I'm at my absolute best. Yep. So why am I still working at 10 o'clock at night some nights? Yeah. It's funny you say this. I had a conversation yesterday with a gentleman that um, had a physical uh, physiotherapy business. And within the first two years, he realized he had capped himself and he couldn't grow. He couldn't make enough money because there was only so many hours in a day that he could perform. And he, he, and something, a light bulb switch, and he realized the only way he was going to grow is if he had to grow his team and he had to expand his team. It's the same thing with me mentoring. You know, I can't be the person that does all the group coaches and the one-on-one -on -one calls. I have a 300 active client list right now that works with me globally. And I can tell you right now, I know I need more boss goes in my division as well. And so it's a hard choice to make sometimes but it's the most liberating choice is how do you fire yourself? And that's a conversation, that's a design thinking question that every entrepreneur should ask themselves is how can I grow my business and fire myself or automate myself and have other people working with me and having similar beliefs? Yeah, so, so what is design thinking that you just mentioned and, and what's important about that? For me, design thinking is is reverse engineering the thought process and and looking at it from a different lens, you know, and looking at it from uh, from a completely different consideration. And and some people will say, you know, design thinkers are pioneers in thought. Um, let me give you a great example. So, uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, you know, send a text, 
and said that, um, you know, uh, her dad got a text message from, you know, a medical practice and said, oh, your appointment's coming up. And uh, if you want to keep this appointment, text message, yes. If you want to cancel this appointment, text message, no. So the people who were thinking about the software thought about yes and no. Here's the problem. Her dad typed in no problem. That was his response, right? What do you think happened? The appointment got canceled. So she's texting us and going, I have to now go reschedule this appointment, right? Mm -hmm. So design thinking would, would say, hey, you need to look at us from a different lens. What if the person doesn't type a yes or a no and types something else? Like, of course, or sure, or no problem, right? Not everyone conforms to the norm that you're trying to design. And so design thinking for me has many meanings, but one of the meanings that, that I'm seeing a lot more right now is rever reverse engineering your thought process, widening the lens, uh, pioneering new thoughts and taking new initiatives. Um, and, and you know, when people say things are going to fail, you know, people constantly challenge that and go, actually, I'm gonna show you something different. If you look at the last recession, Airbnb was founded around that time. You know, Amazon took off and, you know, when we are surrounded by so many challenging moments and, and periods in time, innovation, you know, grows. Um, and uh, necessity is the mother of all innovation. So design thinking is fueled by necessity. Design thinking is fueled by challenges and constrictions because people always ask themselves, what could I do differently if I knew I couldn't fail? And that's the question you ask yourself when you're trying to create introspection. Great. So that's great. And I like that of, you know, that question of what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? It's a hard question to ask and a scary one too, but um, I've asked my, that question so many times in, in personal and professional formats. And the honest answers have, you know, allowed me to have some really hard conversations with myself and allowed me to redefine myself as well based on those answers. Yeah. So where do you think, like, given where we are right now, and, and we know, you know, and as you mentioned, that the workplace from before, it's not coming back, and we're, we're all thinking about how do I do things differently, and where am I going next? So where do you see us evolving to as, as a human race? You know, it's a really good question, uh, Terry. It's a question that I, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about, and um, I read this book uh, by Dan Brown, and please don't judge me. I love Dan Brown <laughs> books. Um, and I read this book called Origin, his latest book, and I was hooked. You know, out of all the books I've read and most of his books, you know, I really liked the Da, da Vinci Code, but this one really hit home, and here's why. The, the fictional story is about Rob, Robert Langdon, the professor, who gets drawn into this event in Spain where his colleague has found the answer to who we are as an origin and how we were formed and where we're going as a human race. Two most sought after answers in mankind. Now, the problem is, is, is that we have a religious uh, uh, output and we have a scientific output. And so we have these two key areas that constantly battle with each other. And so as a, as a 
as a human race, we're either drawn to the right, we're drawn to the left, or we're confused because you know we feel like there's a notion in between. And what I loved about this book is it talks about a, a simple response of where we're going as a human race that doesn't feed religion and it doesn't feed science. It feeds technology. And so, you know, if we look at where we are right now as a human race, we have become handicapped to technology. In some format, we have become a bionic version of ourselves. And I feel like as a human race, we are moving to a race that has, you know, is becoming and forced to become more digital in our workspaces. We are forced to become introverted. But even if you look at technology, it's part of you know, surgeries, it's part of transportation, there's an app for everything, you know, there, there's an app for, uh, you know, I, I just saw an app recently, where if you are single, and you don't, you know, have anyone, there's an app for people that will come and hug you, you know, oh, wow. and, and there's like all kinds of crazy apps. And so you sit there and go to yourself, like, this is the world we're evolving to, we make key decisions, and rapid, rapid decisions through a little device and watching that you know i used to have the nokia and the motorola flip phones in tanzania and so we've come a long way from the flip phones um and and uh you know i feel like our world is moving to a very uh artificial intelligent mindset now for better or for worse humans need to they owe it to themselves to improve artificial intelligence you know uh when i had to leave Canada, I had to, you know, get rid of all my cable bills and transfer all my cable to my parents and everything else. And I had to go through this live chat program because surprise, surprise, some companies decided to lay off a bunch of staff members at these cable companies and automate a portion of their customer service business. Here's the problem. At this day and age, the way the artificial intelligence has been designed for bots is it, it isn't designed to speak to humans because humans have so many different thoughts and different problems that the artificial intelligence still needs to improve. Now, I'm not saying that it won't, but we owe it, our, uh, owe it to ourselves to improve because if you talk to anyone that has called you know, a cable company in Canada lately, they'll tell you that it is annoying. It's a long wait. It's so many challenges and trying to get on live chat has been so difficult for so many cases. So you know, that tells me that we have a lot to improve, but the the future that we are moving into is more bionic, it's more digital, and it's more accessible. Uh, but I also feel like as a human race, it's our responsibility to embrace that ethically and still allow human concept to thrive in that age. And I feel like that's the age we're moving to. Um, and I'm happy with that answer because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't silence religion or science. It doesn't say that religion or science is wrong. It's just factually telling you of where we're going and where we're ending up. Yeah. And you're absolutely right about the cable companies. <laughs> I have had that encounter several times. In fact, recently, it just reminded me of a story. I ordered during this whole lockdown phase, I, I ordered two Ikea bookshelves. And then yeah. I found I could get them faster, the same thing from another company. So I tried to cancel my bookshelves. Right. And it kept looping and looping and looping and I couldn't get through to a person and it just kept setting me in circles. So now I have two extra bookshelves is how that story ended because I can never. <laughs> them. Yeah. And, you know, I think the shipping industry is going to be massively impacted by this, you know, everything from deliveries as well, because, you know, I 
mail right now from Australia to Canada and North America is messed up. I sent this book origin to a couple of my friends. It arrived in the States, but the one in Canada still hasn't arrived. It's been almost two months and I'm tracking some of these codes and it's like moving around in different circles. And I'm like, okay, Vancouver's that way. You're going in the other direction. And so, you know, Amazon and the shipping companies are all going to have to redefine their processes. We may have a couple of other Amazons in the future. We might have direct competitors to dropship handlers. So, you know, it, it, it's an interesting time we live in, but I feel like it's safe to say that there's a lot of new technology and new concepts that are, go, that are going to hit us and overwhelm us as well. Absolutely. And, and what I'm hearing from that is that there's, there's so much opportunity. So I think when people are afraid that nothing's happening right now or that their business has to change, there's, it's recognizing how much opportunity is available and being able to think a little differently in that way. Right. And knowledge is power, right? So, you know, for those who are in the workforces that, that are like, I need to change my work skill sets, you know, Ivy Leagues have opened up their university programs. There's over 500 plus courses, you know, from Ivy Leagues that have been opened up uh, since the start of quarantine. There's a large um, idle workforce in every country that's been laid off or stood down. And these people either need to migrate to a different transition or learn a new skill set. And there is tools to help you get there. But knowledge is power. You know, I belong to this economic forum group called the Gray Swan League. And it's a collection of think tank people that are smart and come from all walks of life. And we're talking about how to thrive in a pandemic era. And we're talking about economic and human sustainability for, for the years to come. And, you know, being a part of people that are smarter than you allows you to adapt new concepts. It allows you to adapt new thought processes. And that's so important as you grow your own personal well-being and well space, right? So uh, I feel like knowledge is definitely something that we need to embrace and widen our lenses. Absolutely. And so what have you been doing during this time to, to elevate yourself and to, to thrive? Uh, you know, like everybody, we all do well in isolation and some days we have our challenges. I, I'm a digital nomad and have been doing the remote workforce before it became a fashion trend. So that part didn't really change much for me. If anything, it got busier being a digital strategist. But, you know, I've had to learn how to come up with productive, healthy habits, everything from eating to productivity to, you know, finding meaning for connection. I've been really spending a lot of time uh, reconnecting with childhood, you know, friends and, and just people that have, I've lost touch in, in my life. And it's been really gratifying and rewarding to do that. Uh, but more importantly, I've been spending a lot more time reinventing myself, my services, my mentoring program, reading a lot more and just surrounding myself with some really intellectually smart people. And that's really given me fuel. It's given me inspiration, motivation, and, and that's really where I'm at right now. So, um, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but that's okay because I'm happy with today. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us today and for sharing so much wisdom and knowledge. I know, I know I've taken a lot of takeaways from this conversation that I'm excited to have those deeper conversations with myself. And I'm definitely having that wine and cheese and chocolate date. <laughs> <laughs> we can implement I that one. 
And I appreciate make, you making time for, for me and having me on your show. I, I, I know that you and I have, have always dabbled in knowing each other socially. So this has been, you know, a lot of fun and I'm glad, I'm glad that we've taken the time to do this. Let's not wait another eight to 10 years to, to have another conversation in the future. That's for oh, sure. Definitely. Absolutely. So what's the best way for people to contact you and find out more about what you do? Um, you know, Bosco Anthony is is um, is basically how most people can reach me today on everything from social to social media. You know, my email is Bosco at BoscoAnthony.com. But really, if you Google my name, Bosco Anthony, I'm on the first 30 to 40 pages of Google. So <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's very hard for me to get lost. Fair enough. And I'll post all your links in the show notes. Thank you again for coming on today and hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks so much for having me, Terry.